Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 181. I'm your host, Derek Moore. This week, we're going to be talking about why diversification fails sometimes, how bonds have failed. And I'm going to be looking at a period of time, 2008, 2009, where there's specific examples of how even being diversified wouldn't have helped that much. Now, before I do that, I will say, I'm not telling you that diversification is bad. In fact, quite contrary. There's a really good argument for being in diversified portfolios or using ETFs, which is by the market. And that's especially true when someone is very early in their investing career. I'd much rather see, you know, when people come to me and they say, hey, Derek, what, what do you think I should invest in? And they're getting started out. I tell them, just do dollar cost averaging, do systematic investing into the S&P 500. It's more important about how often you invest, how much you allocate, and how you stick to it than the actual investments. And I will say it's really difficult to pick individual companies. If we look at volatility, the comparison between owning an index and owning individual names, those individual names are going to have much more volatility. Volatility measures from, let's say, standard deviation. Much more. And there's two types of risk when we look at investing in the markets. There is, let's say, diversifiable risk. And that probably accounts for maybe half or a little bit more than half of the risk you can take out just by diversifying, meaning owning a basket of things, owning the market. So you have, let's say, diversifiable risk, and you can eliminate that. But then there's systematic market risk. And that's where everything goes down. And it doesn't matter what you, you own. And those of you who have listened to the podcast know that we are proponents of buying but hedging, being diversified, but then being hedged on top of that to help not only help the one uh, risk you can try and eliminate, which is diversifiable risk, you can diversify to eliminate that risk, but also the systematic market risk. And when you take a look historically at when markets really sell off, when there's really deep bear markets, I can tell you that uh, a lot of times being diversified wouldn't necessarily help. We look at the period between, let's say, 2008 and 2009. You might say, why are you using that period of time? That was a good example of what people are afraid of is those types of periods. People mo most of the time are not worried about, let's say, a 5 or a 10% drawdown. Even the bear market we've had this year, which at one point, I believe the S&P came down to minus 24%. And by the way, 60-40 portfolios with stocks and bonds, and I'll get to that in a second, those also drew down. But what people are afraid of is really these, these washout moments. The S&P 500 from peak to trough, and I, if I do the peak at, uh, I think it was October of 07 through March of 09, it drew down just under 57%. But it's the other things that I can show you that really speak to the fact that sometimes diversification isn't enough. And again, I'm not saying if, if you're getting started out or if you're doing systematic investing, there's nothing wrong with being diversified. I'd rather see you be diversified in an S&P 500 fund than I would you not. But this is really thinking about you've got a, an amount of assets, you build some wealth, and you're trying to avoid those, those really bad years. 
And while I'm not going to talk specifically about uh, the buy and hedge methodology or different strategies, uh, by all means, send me an email if you want more information on it. It's derek.more at zegafinancial.com. That's D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-O-R-E at Z as in zebra, E as in Eddie, G as in George, A as in Apple. Investors up to you to uh, – oh, sorry, financials up to you to spell correctly. Derek.more at zegafinancial.com. So we look at the S&P, comes down about 57%, peak the trough. And you say, well, okay, well, that's diversified. But what, it, what happened within the index? Well, financials are down almost 83%. Healthcare was down well under 40%. Industrial is down 63%. Really, the, the best performing sector was consumer staples down only 30%. And then the other thing that you hear people saying is, well, why don't you just invest not only in U.S. stocks, but invest internationally? And we know that international stocks, and especially emerging markets, have underperformed U.S. large cap uh, probably for the last decade or so. And does that mean they're, they're due to come back? I don't know. I'll let you know in six months or a year. But if we look at 2008, that same October 07 to March 09 period, Japan was down 52%. China large cap, and these are ETFs that I'm, I'm sort of quoting here, down 63%. Emerging markets down 60%. Europe was down 64%. Australia down 68%. And so as you look at these, these, uh, these figures, you start to understand that had you, I mean, look, being diversified, I mean, let me give you an example here. You probably remember in 2008, there were some specific stocks that drew down much more. Imagine if you just owned Citigroup in that same period. If I look at the annual return from just in 2008 alone of Citigroup, they were down about 77%. General Motors was down 87% and then filed for bankruptcy. In fact, the, the list I'm reading are some of the higher dividend paying companies. You can see that benefit you can see the benefit of being diversified rather than trying to pick the individual companies and then maybe one of these blows up on their own. But if we look back and we say, okay, there's an argument to be made, especially once you have assets, once you have built a little bit of wealth, uh, to why not be diversified but be hedged to try and cut some of that systematic market risk as well. Now, some of you say, well, wait a second, why not uh, just own a 60-40 portfolio? And I'll tell you, 60-40 would have helped in 2008 period, 2000, you know, October 07 to March 09. If I look at, let's say, at the 7 to 10-year Treasury bond ETF, that returned about 13.5%. 20-plus uh, year Treasury bond ETF was about 17.5% to the positive. I will say that uh, the AGG, the U.S. Core Aggregate Bond Index, was pretty much flat. And part of the reason why treasuries did much better than the AGG is, well, investment-grade corporate bonds were down 13.5% that year. Plus, I believe back then, I'd have to take a look, the makeup of the index, that's U.S. Aggregate Bond Index, did have some mortgage-backed securities. And any of you who have either read about that period or remember investing and being in the markets during that time, mortgage-backed securities came under pressure as we had the housing crisis. What's happened this time, though, is rather interesting. And 
this year, when we had the markets come down, what do we see in the USAGG? We saw it in treasuries. All those pulled back. In fact, I think at one point, uh, the U.S. aggregate bond index was down more than the S&P. The reason why that was, of course, is that interest rates went up. And when interest rates go up, bond prices go down. It was a little bit of a different setup this time. The Fed was hiking rates, and rates were already really low. And I'll try and link to another episode that I did. One of the things you want to get to understand about bonds, the interest rate risk goes up when yields or the coupon rates, uh, what they pay out every six months to investors, is much lower. It's part of the reason why if somebody shows you a chart and says, yeah, bonds did really well in the 1970s, considering that inflation was so high and the Fed it, you know, put interest rates at 15 20%, right? But the issue there is that the coupons are really high. And so they muted the market value losses in bonds. And so this time bonds did not offset the decline in equities. And it's one of those things where interest rates drive bonds. Interest rates primarily drive bonds. And there's, in, there's investment grades, there's high yield junk, there is uh, treasuries, and all of those have different risks to them. But the reality is that when you are holding bonds, their gain or losses, not talking about the coupons, but their gain and losses are primarily because interest rates are changing. In 2008, 2009, what did the Fed do? The Fed lowered interest rates. And when interest rates go down, bond prices go up. And back then, the coupons were a little higher than they were right now. And so I think the, the main crux of what I wanted to get across today is that Although investors, some investors might think, okay, all I have to do is pick a little bit of stocks, a little bit of bonds. You have to start thinking about what goes into those, what goes into why stocks and bonds go up or down. And I will say, I'm not a fan of trying to time the market. Uh, there's a, a great Peter Lynch quote, when something to the effect of more money has been lost by investors trying to time bear markets than in actually bear, in bear markets themselves. And I know I botched that quote. I didn't look it up before I thought of it. But I bring this up because there is a compelling argument for diversification, but then having hedges on top of that. And part of what that does is give one the ability, let's say, who has accumulated some wealth, has some assets, to go ahead and be a little bit more comfortable with being invested in the market and resisting the, the urge and the temptation to try and time things. Again, though, if someone is, if all they're doing is systematically investing in the market and they're putting it in diversification, diversified ETFs or diversified funds, that is awesome. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. But there is this nuance that diversification alone may not help in the worst types of market environments. And as we saw this year, when you have an interest rate uh, environment that is rising, bonds come under pressure and bonds did not give investors the offset they normally would expect. I actually wrote about this in my book, Broken Pie Chart, uh, available on Amazon, shameless plug. Uh, you know, Labor Day is coming up and why not get that book for uh, someone that's a friend of yours or maybe even they're not a friend. They just buy it for some random person. 
But I actually did a whole chapter on that. And I, the title of the chapter was Bond's past performance can't possibly, Bond's future performance can't possibly equal past performance. And of course, that's what everybody, you know, has to mention, right? I mean, when you're managing money or, or you're dealing with investments, past performance is no indication of future results. But when you look at bonds in particular, the fact that coupon rates were so low, interest rates were so low, it this time it was sort of the, the bond market and the rise in rates that really caused the problem in equities. And the final thing I'll say is this, uh, going back to diversification, we know that it's better to be diversified than very concentrated. And sometimes people are concentrated because they maybe worked at a company and they have a lot of low cost basis stock, or they just invested over the years in a stock that did really well. And they wound up concentrated because this one asset did uh, had a much more outsized piece of their portfolio. A lot of times though, it's because somebody worked at a company. And so in those cases, there's actually things, you know, a lot of people are reticent to, to diversify, even though they know it's the right thing to do because of the low cost basis and the tax situation. And that's where for a lot of times we'll go and look at a portfolio and start to design hedges for it, uh, but also to think about a structured schedule of where they can diversify out of concentration and try and minimize the, uh, the tax hit. So those are all things that are important as well. All right, everyone, uh, that's going to do it for this ep week's episode. Thanks for tuning in. As always, keep sending emails. I like getting emails, and a lot of times uh, it is a listener question or comment or a suggestion for topics that I wind up doing. And that's the case today. Uh, a couple people were asking me last week. They said, hey, if how much does diversification really work? And it's a good question. And again, it works really well until it doesn't. And it just depends on your personal situation. Uh, but I think a compelling case is made for an active hedging strategy that can protect, at the same time, allow growth in portfolios. All right, folks, we'll leave it there. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week.